It is good to be together. For some of you, you've had quite the roller coaster ride this last month. For some of you, it's just meant graduations and birthday parties and perhaps baptisms and all sorts of things going on. Perhaps for some of you, it's been other things certain unexpected stuff falling apart or needing your attention. Things have been maybe perhaps up and down. This psalm that we're looking at today is the first psalm where we hear the word selah, which can mean interlude, it means pause, it means lift up to exalt. Um, But it's this idea of this divine moment where everything stills. And so I invite you into that moment to take a deep breath right now, deep breath, and to invite the Holy Spirit to be present with us as we continue in this time looking in the word of God together today. The Psalms are a songbook. They're actually poems that were sung by the people of God. They're meditations and prayers meant to change us. They're the place, as author N.T. Wright shares, where heaven and earth meet, the connection of time and space and matter. If you've read the Psalms, you know that the Psalms are also very truthful. They're raw in their honesty. It's a place where we can find renewal. The story told in the Psalms is one of God's majesty and power and reign right alongside enemies and traps and tears that God collects even when others don't see. The cry of abandonment, the divine comfort of rescue, pain and prayer blended together We find things that we would like to have just separated. We love to have just the joy, just the praise. But actually, the Psalms are nearly 50-50. Lament and praise. Joy and sorrow right alongside each other. Sometimes within the very same verse, the Psalms blend together all of what life is for us. The Psalms really were the hymn book of Jesus' day. If you can imagine the disciples and Jesus walking along, these would have been the songs that they sung to each other, the things that they would have shared with each other as they walked along the way. Yes, they immersed themselves in all of Scripture, but the Psalms were those songs that they knew well, that the Jewish people would recount to each other again, day in and day out. Do you remember the songs of your childhood? For some of you, the songs that come to your mind are happy, happy home, right? And you have like who has come to Sabbath school in your head. As someone who wasn't raised in this church but came later on as a teenager and being from Seattle, mine were like, recycle, it's a better way, uh uh-huh. That's what's in my childhood memory banks of songs. I'm serious. I could go on, but I won't. But what had stuck in your head? Like what songs did you learn and sing as a child that immediately come back to you? Sometimes I'll hear a song and I turn to Caleb and I start singing all the words, like all of the words. And, and I said, do you know this one? And he's like, nope. Remember, I was raised fifth generation Adventist. Nope, didn't know that song. <laughs> we just, we remember the songs that we have from childhood. For me, that's also really, really annoying commercials like, Biz, 
a detergent that we still don't have anymore. But what songs did you have that mark your childhood? If you can imagine Jesus, as we look at the Psalms, because these are Psalms of summer, keep a song in your heart is our series. If you can imagine these Psalms being the language that Jesus spoke from his heart, the things that he himself sung and said when he didn't have words to talk to God and needed these words to be provided for him. All throughout the scriptures, there's allusions in the New Testament to the Psalms because this was the language of the heart of the people of God. I invite you to remember that Jesus saw the world through a psalm-shaped paradigm. He was viewing the world through the highs and the lows of what it meant to be a believer in God, this paradigm that the disciples understood and Jesus himself understood. My own life has been shaped by these psalms. For over 20 years, I've read a psalm a day. It's been the most consistent, aside from prayer and journaling, but for scripture, reading a psalm a day has been the backbone of my spiritual life. The practice that has profoundly influenced my growth as a Christian. Reading a psalm one day and moving on to the psalm the next day has given me language for reaching out and connecting with God. It's no stretch to say the psalms have changed my life. God, as I've met God here, these have grounded me for so long. So today I counted a gift to get to share with you and all summer our pastors are each gonna share from different psalms that have meant something to us. I have read the psalms daily as I watched and cared for my dad as he died from cancer. I've read the psalms daily as I experienced miscarriages. I read the psalms daily as I served as a pastor encountering the joys and the grief, the challenge and the celebration that leaves me wordless and in awe of who our God is. I have read the Psalms daily as I parent my children and seek to balance full-time ministry and parenthood and partnership and friendship. I have read the Psalms daily as I waited on God for the fulfillment of adopting two beautiful children. I've read the Psalms through different seasons, through the highs and the lows. So I speak to you about what I've come to know and rely on, what I have found to be true. Allusions and quotations in the New Testament have their grounding here, and so we can look back and we can see this prayer book that meant something to them can also mean something to us. When trouble hits, when hard times come, we come to these psalms. So today, Psalm 3. Let's read it together. Thank you so much for reading it earlier. We're gonna read the entire psalm just now. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call to the Lord and he answers from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. 
Strike all my enemies in the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Notice these words. Have you ever felt what the psalmist feels? This is David himself. Have you ever felt trapped? Have you ever felt stuck in a tight spot where you didn't feel like there was any way out? God cannot help you, the enemies claim. You are surrounded, you won't make it through. This is where David finds himself. David is on the run. We know that he has been on the run before. If you have read this story, or maybe it's your first time hearing it, David spent a lot of his life running before he sat on the throne from King Saul. But this time is different. And Elder Keturah mentioned one of those times in that beautiful story of En Gedi. But this time, he's running from his own son. So there's a personal shame to what is happening in this time. He's running from Absalom who is seeking to take over his kingdom. David has fled the palace, he's fled the city with his entire family, and now he's out wandering. And now where does David turn? The psalm says he turns to the Lord, to the one who lifts up his head. David invites us to turn to God because every time in these scriptures, every time he encounters the things that he doesn't know what to do with, he turns towards God. Shame encompassed him. Whose fault was this? It's easy for us to look and to read his story and say, we can see what you could have done better. Imagine what David was hearing then. This is your own son. You brought this upon yourself. Can you imagine him walking head low in the dishonor, in the shame, in the exhaustion, in the weariness of one who is fleeing everything that caused him to feel secure as he's now running from his son? Shame is a heavy burden to bear. Some of us know that well. David was weighed down by that shame. What did he do? What did he do when he encountered problems that he brought on himself? What did he do when he encountered things that he didn't expect? He turned to God. Research shows that body language matters. That just practicing different postures in the morning can make a difference in how you speak and how you interact with how you relate to the people around you. The power pose, this pose, if you hold up your hands, they say one minute a day, just lifting up your hands. This is not a Christian or faith-based perspective. This is just this pose makes a difference in how we relate because there's a confidence, there's an openness. So imagine the difference between the shame of shoulders rounded and head down and the despair of eyes cast to the ground and the hopelessness of face down versus God lifts my head up high. Imagine the difference that it makes for David now to have the one who lifts up his head to fix his eyes on a perspective, not his own. David says, you lifted up my head. In other words, my situation didn't warrant it. I didn't deserve it. This wasn't something I could have done myself. The perspective I got was from outside of myself. It was from you, God. You lifted 
my head high. God is the lifter of his head, the one who takes off his shame. Maybe some of us just need to start practicing that posture of the one whose head is lifted by the almighty God. God does not call you to live in shame. God does not want you to live in shame. God lifts up David's head. Each one of us self-medicate differently. We numb out or tune out depending on our personality, our upbringing, a whole host of other things. What does David do in this instance? He turns to connect. When facing hard times, connect. Sometimes it's the last thing we wanna do. Many times it's the last thing we wanna do. But turn to connect when you're facing hard times. Verse three says, God is a shield. Notice the shield doesn't take you out of battle, but goes with you into battle. Someone needs to hear this today. God is my shield doesn't mean God takes away the fight or takes you out of the fight, but it gives you a fighting chance in the midst. So God is a shield. How does God want to protect you today? How does God want to be your shield mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically? One way I've seen God shield me is through those that I love, the people around me. That God has been present in the connections between us. The people around you and caring for them and reaching out to them and praying with them and sending them messages at just the right time. That can be a shield of God around them. You can shield the vulnerable as you pray for each other. There is an invisible enemy attacking each one of us, and each person is in a battle that is beyond what any of us knows or understands. And as we pray, as we encourage, as we love, as we care, we can be part of God's shield around them. You don't know if that word spoken in due season is just what they need to say, I'll keep fighting a little longer. I'll have the courage to go tomorrow. I want you to know that you are not alone. You are not empty-handed. You have a shield before you. In verse 4 to 6, it says something very particular. It says that I call out to the Lord and God answers. Many of you know, week before last, I was doing some traveling and got to speak in the inter-European division, and they had their gathering of pastors from their division, so it means there were all different countries represented from Portugal and Spain and France and Germany and Czech Republic and all different places, Switzerland, and so we went from one gathering on the campus, Cologne campus in France, to another gathering at Friedensau. I left LAX only 15 minutes late, maybe 18. It wasn't too long. I thought for sure it would be fine because we have this huge plane full of people. They would want for us to make our connections, wouldn't they? Wouldn't it be easier? We landed in London and found out that indeed there was not time to go through customs and to make it to our flight, though we didn't know that at first. We spent some time sprinting, bonding together as passengers. I even exchanged numbers with several people. They're like gonna come visit because we had some time together. So we did this whole thing, made it to the gate, then didn't make it, spent some time in line together. Finally got up to that line. And the guy says to me, you can go out tomorrow night. 
To which I said, I need to go earlier. I'm speaking at a conference and I need your help. And he's like, I can talk to my manager. And I said, I would be glad to wait here as, I talk, as you talk to your manager. So I'm praying that he would be able to get me on the morning flight, 7 a.m., which would give me a few hours to sleep and then catch this flight. He comes back and he hands me a ticket, says, you're on. I said, wow, thank you so much. Caught my three hours of sleep, came back to the airport, and I'm asking this question, why did you intend for this? Because I believe there's divine purpose and that God is looking for how I can bless someone by my presence. What difference can be made through this? So I get to the plane and in my row of now Swiss airlines, because I've changed airlines now, I see this woman about my age in a power suit, focused, working. I said hello, she didn't look up, she's focused, she's doing amazing work. And I did find out later, she is a very powerful executive. She owned the whole persona and she deserves that. She's amazing. Said hello, sat down, started praying for her. About halfway through the flight, as I am praying through a psalm, praying for her and for me, praying through a psalm, I look over and I see tears streaming down her face. And so I'm praying in my heart, like, is this a time for words? Is this a time to just pray? So I waited and watched. And she turned to me, just a quick glance. And as I caught her eye, I said, are you okay? She said, no, I'm not. My friend is no longer living. She took her life. And she has two children. And I asked her questions and she started sharing, this has been her friend from childhood, one of her closest friends. And she shared these stories with me and reflected and honored her friend by so many ways that she had blessed and benefited her life. And I listened as she was questioning and remembering and going through the journey. And when we landed at Geneva, she reached out and she said, why are you here? I said, I'm going to a conference. And she said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor, I'm clergy. As soon as I said clergy, she grabbed my hand and started crying. You were sent for me. We talked all the way through onto the bus and down the aisle and all the way through to the passport lanes where I had to go one way and she had to go another. And we embraced and she looked me in the eye again and she said, you were sent for me. And I stopped there for a moment and I said, God, if you wanna reroute me, you have my permission any day. Child of God can be reminded that you hear that you answer from your holy mountain, that you hear her desperate cry, and that I could be some small part of reminding her of your presence. There is no other word to describe this than sacred, because God directed and ordained it. You see, the psalmist says that even when I feel all alone, when I feel helpless, that you send me reminders that you hear and that you answer, that God is listening.
that I can lie down and sleep in safety and security even though I'm surrounded, even though I'm bombarded by despair, even though I'm plagued with regret, even though I'm wondering what's going on, that I can rest because you hear me. You hear me. God hears you. You are not alone. God is always listening and ready to answer from God's holy mountain. God says, you are not alone. The systems are broken. People are fallible. We hurt each other. We hurt because of what life brings us. But God hears. Many might have read the news and seen what's happening in Russia, seen what's happened in the war in Ukraine, seen what's happening in other parts of the world. And here's the thing, as I reflect on that, I want to remind you and remind myself that this isn't the first time as believers we've faced the unraveling of society. One of the assets we have as Christians is being those people with a long view looking back that we have risen through crisis by the strength of Jesus Christ. That we are joined by brothers and sisters who have gone before us and who have faced perilous times and devoted to not let their love grow cold in spite of what they see around them. We look back and draw on that strength. We are those who are mean, the children of God and who also look at what we mean to each other and this helps us ride out the storm. One last part of this verse, it says in verse 7, strike all my enemies in the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. Some of you need to go home and pray that prayer for something or someone. But what this means is take away their power. Take away the power of those who intend harm. You could imagine defang the wicked. Don't let those who bite and devour have any power over me. Render them harmless. This psalm has always meant something to me, but it took on a new depth of meaning as this last fall, uh, Deb Stottlemyre was a part of our deep calling group. And she shared with us together from the very beginning when she found out that she had cancer. And as she shared with the group, she was so inspiring and moving to us because she said, not to me, but to your name be the glory, God. I trust you with my life. And one of her friends chose Psalm 3 to rewrite as a prayer for her. So I want to share it with you with her permission that she shared from Chris, her dear friend, a chaplain, he shared, Lord, how many are my cancer, foe, cancer cell foes? How many of them rise up against me now, specifically in both my lungs? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver her, or it's so sad so soon after Craig has died. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You can make the immunotherapy effective. You are my glory and the one who lifts my head high, the one who can heal my lungs. I call out to the Lord Jesus, the great physician who hears and answers me from his holy mountain, the heavenly Zion. 
I lie down and sleep well. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I am not worried. I will not fear, though tens of thousands of cancer cells have attacked me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me. Smash all my microscopic enemies in the mouth. Break their little teeth so that they starve and die. Let the many who are praying say, may the Lord provide her deliverance. May your healing blessing be on Deb Stottlemyre during this time of treatment and forever, for she is one of your many people. Amen. Amen. So I share this not because it's over, but because I've been moved by this elder, this child of God, who has allowed us to be a part of the journey, to pray this psalm for her. To pray because she has declared that though the story is not over, she's in the middle still, that the story is over because Christ has given her the victory. And that has moved me so deeply that she has declared God's victory at every turn because the scriptures declare that though it might not be over in your life, that the enemy has been defanged, that his teeth has been smashed, that there is no power ultimately that the enemy has over you. 1 Corinthians 15 says Jesus has defeated the enemy. Romans 8, 37 says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see this psalm starts off as a lament and then it moves to expressing trust in God, crying out to God. And then as David cries out for help, he can't help but praise God for the truth that the enemies against him are powerless. And he says, arise, Lord, deliver me, for from the Lord comes deliverance. God wins. God wins. Whatever it appears like in your life or in the world, God wins. God wins. Love wins. The power will be broken. I... One last part from this travel is I saw these Reformation sites, and this one right here is just one of many examples. Maybe some of you saw the Reformation wall with all the reformers, their huge, massive statues. But it wasn't how they intended to be remembered, not all of them at least. I loved all of these sites, and it was good that we get to remember their contribution and the ongoing Reformation in your life and mine. Uh, but Dr. Denny Fortin, the professor and former seminary dean during my time there, he said, you have to see his grave. And we had to work to find it because you see this grave, Calvin desired to be buried in an unmarked grave because he said, I don't want my place of burial to become a place of pilgrimage. I don't want to be remembered it's not me who should be lifted up, it's Jesus. It's God who should be lifted up. And it was really moving to me to stand there and to feel my eyes and attention drawn to God the deliverer because this sight felt more holy than the rest. This sight where he wanted us to not even remember, not even to be there, actually turned my eyes to my deliverer. So I remind you today, God wins. I remind you today to fix your eyes on your deliverer.